You are listening to the sermon podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ-centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org. All right, well, my name is Andy Herman. I am the director of student ministries at Nielsville. And some of you might not recognize me, even if you know me, without the beard. I used to have a lot more hair on my face. But it's an honor to be here preaching. If you look at your bulletins, it probably says that Jeff Ricketts is supposed to be preaching. That is the guest pastor who preached last week and who will, Lord willing, be preaching next week. But unfortunately, he called in sick yesterday at about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So here I am. I'm excited to share God's word with you this morning. Be gracious to me if, uh, <laughs> if things seem a little quick, but I'm very excited to share God's word with you. So if you can flip in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, that's where we're going to be today. Matthew 14, we're going to be starting off in verse 22, and we just finished up a series in Matthew not too long ago in an earlier section of the book, so today we're jumping in a little later, but hopefully if you're paying attention during that series, some of those themes will have stuck with you because that'll come up again today in our passage. So Matthew 14, 22, if you don't want to look in your pew Bibles, you can also look up on the screen. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, You are the Son of God. Will you join me in prayer? Father, as we come to this passage, we ask that you would open our hearts, God, that you would use your spirit to open our hearts to what you are saying to us through your word this morning, God, that we would be receptive and that we would let your word shape us, God, that it would build in us strong faith in Jesus, your Son. It's in his name we pray, amen. All right, so this passage features a pretty well-known story. Most of us have heard this story of Jesus walking on the water before, right? Even if you haven't read this passage, you've probably heard this story in Sunday school or something like that. And this passage that we're looking at actually comes after another very well-known passage. Who here has heard of the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000? Many of us have heard that story, right? Where Jesus, with only five loaves of bread and two fish, feeds 5,000 people. And that's just actually the men in the crowd because that's the way they counted back then. So it's probably closer to 15,000 people that he was feeding with five loaves of bread and two fish. And there were 12 basketfuls of leftovers. And the reason I bring that story up is because that's the story that precedes our passage today. It's the immediate background to our passage today. 
So when it says in verse 22 that Jesus made the disciples get in the boat while he dismissed the crowds, those are the crowds that we're talking about, the crowds who witnessed this amazing miracle. And I'm sure the disciples at the time were just super excited, right? They wanted to talk to Jesus more, see more miracles. They had just witnessed something absolutely incredible. And that's why it says Jesus made them get in the boat, right? He said, no, leave me alone. I need some time by myself. Side note for the parents in here. That's a good excuse to use. Even Jesus needed time to himself. So if you want your kids to leave you alone for a little while, just remind them of that. But, but Jesus needed time to himself. And so he sends the disciples off to cross the sea. He says, I'll catch up with you later. Which they're probably wondering, like, what, in like two weeks? I mean, he has to cross a whole sea. It's, it's not small. So he sends them across, and he spends the night in prayer with his father. So Jesus spends the night praying, and eventually the time comes where he decides he's going to rejoin his disciples. But they're already a long way off, right? It says they're a long way from land. In the, in the original text in the Greek, it says they're many stadia away from the land. And a stadia was somewhere between 150 to 200 meters. So if they're many stadia away, they're a good distance from the shore, right? They're not just a few feet away. And on top of that, there's a storm going on. There's wind that's keeping the boat from reaching its destination. And so Jesus naturally does the thing that anyone would do, and he walks across the sea to the boat, you know, like a normal person. He, he walks out, and the disciples see him, and they freak out. Now, keep in mind, it says that he walked out to them at the fourth watch of the night. Now, the fourth watch of the night, for those of you who aren't familiar with ancient Near Eastern timekeeping, is between 3 and 6 a.m., roughly. So Jesus is going out to them very, very early in the morning. Other than Chad Porter, I don't know many people who are up that early. I'm not usually up then. And they hadn't woken up. I mean, they had been up. They had been in the middle of this storm all night. So they're probably a little groggy, probably a little, little woozy, a little loopy, you know, like people get when they've been up for a really long time, had a tiring day. And they see someone walking out in the middle of a storm on this sea. And their natural reaction, which had to do partially with what they believed at that time, was to think it was a ghost. They freaked out, right? These grown men who are fishermen, right? They're blue-collar, they're tough. They don't let things scare them. They cry out in fear, the Bible says. Now, for most of the grown men in here, I think you can attest, you try not to cry out in fear, especially in front of other men, right? You don't want to look wimpy in front of the dudes, right? You want to look tough. You want to look macho. At least I do. I'll be honest. I, I want to look tough. And so I'm not going to cry out and freak out about a ghost. I would try to look tough. But these grown men cry out because they're terrified. And so Jesus comforts them. He calls out to them. He says, take heart. It is I. And in our English text where it says, it is I, the original Greek says this phrase, ego I me. So if you don't learn anything else, you can, you can say you learned a little bit of ancient Greek today. It says, ego, I me, which means I am. And I am is a significant phrase in the Bible. Many of us have heard the story of Moses and the burning bush, right? Where God spoke to the man Moses through a burning bush. And when Moses asked God who he should say he is, who he should say God is, God replies, I am who I am. He says, I am. He's, he's showing that he has always existed, that he always is who he is. He never changes. He's eternal. And so when Jesus uses that, that phrase to identify himself, I am, we should take note. It's significant. 
Jesus is telling his disciples, don't be afraid because I'm eternal, because I am in control of all things. Don't be afraid because I am the Lord of the universe. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples as he comforts them. He's making a huge claim here. He's not just claiming, hey, I'm powerful and cool. He's saying, I am the Lord. I am God. So don't be afraid. And Peter, who was in many ways the ringleader of the disciples, believes him. Right? He, he calls back out to him. He says, Lord, denoting that he, he submits him. He recognizes who he is. He says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out on the water with you. So he's saying, if this is really Jesus, I believe that he is Lord. I believe that he is powerful. I believe he can control anything and everything. And so Peter hops out of the boat. And what do you know? He hops out of the boat. His foot plants on the water as if it's solid ground. I can imagine well, I can kind of imagine, it's kind of hard to imagine, being a disciple in the boat at that time, watching Peter jump out of the boat, I would have been worried for Peter. I would have been scared. I would have probably tried to grab him, you know. And when he, he plants on the water and starts walking across the surface, their jaws must have just dropped to the floor. It must have just been unbelievable to see this guy who is just their friend, their fellow fisherman, walking across the surface of a sea in the middle of a storm. And so Peter believes Jesus, believes who he says he is, and he relies on him to hop out of the boat and walk across the water. But of course, Peter's trust, his faith doesn't last too long, right? Eventually, it says he looks at the wind. He sees the wind and he becomes afraid. He gets distracted by the storm going on around him. And so he starts to sink because he's taken his eyes off of Jesus. He's forgotten who it is that's holding him up. And so he starts to sink into the water and his faith reignites at the last second one more time and he cries out, Lord, save me. And so Jesus reaches out and grabs him and pulls him into the boat and calms the storm once again. And the disciples fall down and worship. You may remember we talked about in the Matthew series a few weeks ago, we talked about another story of Jesus calming a storm. And after that time Jesus calmed the storm, the disciples marveled. It says they wondered, who is this man? But this time, there's no question who this man is. They fall down and worship. They realize that they are in the presence of God, of the Lord of the universe. And so this passage is really challenging us to do two things. It's challenging us first to know who Jesus is, to know that he is Lord of the universe, that he's in control. You see, there's a lot of people, even people who are self-professed Christians, who think of Jesus more as a good teacher or a, a wise guide. They look to Jesus' words as helpful, helpful advice, helpful tips to get through life, but they don't view him as Lord. They think, oh, no, no, he's not, he's not claiming a real authority. But as C.S. Lewis put it, a great Christian writer, he said that when you look at what Jesus claimed about himself and everything that he did, you can come to one of three conclusions. You can say he's a liar that he's just making stuff up about who he is, that he's a lunatic, that he's crazy and thinks he's God, but really he's just insane, or you can say that he's Lord, that he is who he says he is, that he controls everything in the universe. But the one thing that we can't do, the one thing that Jesus has not left open to us is to just say, oh, he's a good moral teacher. Oh, he's, you know, he's a wise man who had some good advice, who provided a good example for living. Because a good moral teacher who isn't God 
doesn't claim to be God. That's not good morals. If I, teaching the students in the student ministry, said, okay, guys, be really good and make sure to go around telling everyone you're the God of the universe, I would probably get fired, right? That's not good moral teaching. So Jesus is claiming lordship. He's claiming to be in control of the universe, and he's claiming authority over the very molecules that make up the surface of the water, and by extension, over us, over who we are and what we do. So this passage is calling us to believe that Jesus is Lord, but it's not just about knowing the right things about Jesus. When we don't apply our knowledge, it's not very helpful. There's a refrigerator magnet in the coffee shop that I work in that says, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. There's a lot of wisdom there. I would go so far as to say, actually, that wisdom is never eating raw tomato, just ever. I, raw tomato's gross. Pasta sauce and pizza sauce is good, but other than that, just stay away. But it's important for us to apply our knowledge, right? We, we need to apply our knowledge that tomato is a fruit, or apply our wisdom, rather, and our, our wisdom that it that it doesn't go in a fruit salad. We have to use what we know. We can't just know something and not act on it. And so, in the same way, this passage is calling us to act on what we know about Jesus. We need to know that he is Lord of the universe, but then we need to act on that. We need to trust in him and rely on him, just like Peter did when he got out of the boat. And again, when he cried out, Lord, save me, after he had doubted. When I first read this passage preparing for this sermon, I thought of our church as a whole. We, we fit into this passage really well, and maybe some of you are already thinking this, but we, in a lot of ways, are like Peter out on the water right now. We're in the middle of this process of switching denominations, which is a scary process. There's a lot of risk involved for us as a church right now. And there's a lot of things that have come up. We're now looking for a new pastor. There's going to be financial constraints. There's all kinds of things that have come up in this process as we're seeking to obey Jesus. And we know who Jesus is. I guarantee you as a church, we would declare heartily that Jesus is Lord. But throughout this process, we need to make sure that we're also applying that knowledge. It would be really easy to get caught looking at the storm going around us, to get caught looking at all the obstacles we'll have to overcome as a church. And so then trying to solve this problem different ways, trying to focus on conventional wisdom, on being practical, on what seems easiest. It'd be easy to take our eyes off of Jesus and to focus on what's going on around us. But what we need to do as a church is to stay focused on Christ who is leading us throughout this whole process. Because pragmatism and problem-solving and conventional wisdom aren't what will sustain our church through hard times. Jesus is the one who will sustain our church through hard times, focusing on him, relying on him every step of the way as we take step by step over the stormy, turbulent surface of the sea. We need to stay focused on Christ. And that's not just applicable for us as a church. It's also applicable for us as individuals. I think we can all relate to that feeling of sinking or of being overwhelmed, right? We've all been surrounded by storms in life. There are people who battle depression and anxiety. There are people who battle with financial issues, debt, and stress about getting a job, all kinds of different issues that we face in life, death and suffering and illness. We could list them for hours, right? But there's so many 
stressful, terrible, terrifying things going on in our lives from the really small to the very big. And it's really easy, even if we claim to be Christians, to get caught looking at the wind, to get caught focusing on what's going on around us and trying desperately to save ourselves when really what we need to do is cry out, Lord, save me. We need to rely on the one who has all power, the one who controls the storm, because Jesus is in control of whatever you are facing. He's in control of the situation, even when you're facing depression and anxiety, even when you're facing illness, even when you're facing debt or job loss or whatever it is you're facing. Jesus is Lord over that too. Jesus is Lord over every storm. And so we need to keep our gaze focused on him. We need to keep trusting him as our Lord. And of course, it won't always be easy, right? Is anyone in here perfect at trusting Jesus? I didn't think so, right? None of us trust Jesus perfectly all the time. You will doubt, you will slip, you will stumble, and you will start to sink, just like Peter did. But the really good news is that even when we start to sink, we have a compassionate Lord. We have a Lord who loves us, who will save us. If you look back at chapter 14, if you have your Bibles open, the story right before, which I mentioned at the beginning, right before our passage, is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. But what makes that story even more incredible is how it came about. You see, Jesus had just found out that John the Baptist, his cousin and possibly one of the only people on earth who understood him at that time, had been executed by the king. John the Baptist had been executed, and so Jesus was sad about that. As, as we might expect, Jesus was sorrowful, and he went off to seek solitude. He went off to be by himself and to pray But somehow, even in a desolate place, these huge crowds found him and were begging to be healed. And so, I don't know about you, we all get kind of grouchy when things are stressful, right? If you haven't had your cup of morning coffee, you sometimes, you know, you have a little snap in your responses to people. You're not always the most friendly. And Jesus was going through something very tough, but instead of turning these crowds away and saying, come back another day, he heals them. And in fact, he sticks with them so long, he heals them all day, so he has to feed them in the evening. That's how that miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 came about. Because Jesus stayed with this crowd and had compassion on them for so long that then he needed to provide food for them as well. And then in our passage, of course, Jesus shows compassion in his comforting of the disciples and in the way that he reaches out and saves Peter who is suffering not because Jesus did something to him, but because he himself doubted. And then after our story, too, at the end of chapter 14, when they land on the other side of the sea, again, massive crowds come out to Jesus to be healed. And instead of saying, you know what, guys, I've had a long night. Just give me some time. He goes up to them, and he heals them once again. You see, we serve a Lord who is compassionate. He is powerful. All three of these stories display Jesus power. He has control over everything, but they also display his compassion, his love. Jesus ultimately displayed his compassion in that he died on the cross in our place to take punishment for our sins. We see his compassion displayed there. He saved us from the most dangerous storm that faces us, which is our own sin. And so we face, we serve a powerful Lord, but we also serve a compassionate Lord, a loving Lord, who cares for us and saves us when we cry out. And so if you're struggling with doubt, if you don't feel like you're walking on the water, if you feel like you're already sinking, that's okay. 
Maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus and you just feel like you're thinking, that's okay, because if you just simply cry out, Lord, save me, he will. As the theologian R.C. Sproul once said, we're not saved by the quality of our faith, but by the object of it. That is such an important point to grasp, right? We're not saved because our faith reaches a certain level of strength. It's not like, oh, once you get to like 500 strength faith points, you're in, right? That's not how it works. We're saved because even when we have the weakest, tiniest faith, if it's in Jesus, he'll save us. We're saved by the object of our faith, not by the quality of it. So if you feel like you're sinking, if you feel like you've failed to trust in Jesus, if you failed to focus on him, if you have not relied on him, that's okay. You can simply cry out, Lord, save me. If you trust in him that much, enough to cry out those three words, he'll save you. He will grab you and pull you out pluck you out of the depths of the most dangerous, deadly storm. So if you're an atheist who walked in here thinking Christianity is ridiculous, if you're a lifelong Christian who's known Christ ever since you can remember, what we need to do today is know who Jesus is. We need to know that he is Lord of all. And then we need to act on that knowledge by trusting him, by relying on him, by focusing on him when things seem unbearable, by continuing to just focus on who he is and knowing that he will sustain us even when the storm around us seems impossible to overcome. We can try a lot of different things to save ourselves. We can try positive psychology. We can try having the perfect diet and exercising a ton. We can try having a great social media image. We can try physical pleasure. We can try whatever we want to make ourselves feel better and distract ourselves from what's going on around us. But ultimately, as much as you distract yourself by focusing on those other things, you'll still sink. You'll still drown if you're focused on saving yourself. But if you focus on Jesus, if you rely on him as the Lord of the universe, he can make you walk on water. That doesn't mean there won't be a storm, but he'll save you from it. He will sustain you through it. And so as a church, I am calling on all of us as a church to band together and stay focused on Jesus, even if the goal seems so far away, even if it seems impossible for us to make it through, we need to focus on Christ and on who he is, and he will sustain us through. And as individuals, in the, in the same way, if you feel like you're facing something impossible, if you feel like you are not able to save yourself, it's because you're right, you can't, but you can look to the one who can. Look to the Lord of the universe. Know that Jesus is God and trust him. That's all there is to it. Simply trust him and cry out when you feel yourself sinking. Cry out, Lord, save me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are both powerful and compassionate. We thank you that you, the God of the universe, cares for us and that when we cry out to you in faith, when we rely on you, you save us. You grab us and you pull us into the boat, Lord, and we thank you for your love, for your compassion, and for your mercy. I pray that each one of us would leave this place focused and relying on you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.